You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, Merry Christmas. Can't believe it's almost here, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I was, we were singing, I was just thanking the Lord for, you know, he calls us out of the world, doesn't he? Uh, and he, and he, he calls us out when we get saved, but it's a continual kind of calling out and calling into the kingdom. And I was just thinking about, you know, how, how do people kind of escape the system out there? You know, what do they do to escape the, the crazy turmoil of it and all? And, well, I know how they do it. I know, you know, what I used to do. When I was backslidden, you know, you drink yourself away and all those kinds of things. But for us, he calls us, he calls us here on a midweek, you know, you know, off the couch and, you know, we don't drown ourselves hours and hours and hours on TV shows or Netflix or Facebook, you know, but he calls us out to have real joy, you know, to sing to him. I mean, this is what it is to be in the kingdom. So it's not like we're escaping necessarily, but we're here in the kingdom rejoicing in the Lord. This is our life. We have the best life, don't we? I mean, it really is something. <clears throat> so uh, Tony uh, uh, texted me this morning, I think sometime. He says, man, they hit the ground running. And apparently uh, what the church had planned for them to do uh, in day one, day two, and day three, they already did on the first day. So they're way ahead of the curve, so they had to go to the church and say, can you give us more stuff to do, <laughs> you know, because we don't want to get bored over here, you know. And so uh, typical Pastor Tony School of Ministry, you know, the, but he said the servants, I mean, the kids are just serving like crazy, so. So they're having a great time. If you've been thinking about going to Israel, you still have time. We're going to go at the end of February. It's going to be a long, gray December. And a long gray January. And then by the time you get to February, it's like a millennium gray. And when you get to the end of the February, you're thinking, man, I want to go over there to Israel and I want to see the sun shine and, you know, get that vitamin D. <sighs> Just like that. And then feed all that food, all those vegetables and all that fish and all that hummus and all that cake. <laughs> Fatness, fatness. Well, let's open to Acts chapter 4. Oh, yeah, other announcements while you're turning there. So tonight's communion, next week is the ninth. So next week we'll do an introduction to 1 Peter uh, and then start in the first verse. Uh, that's how we're going to go in 1 Peter. Uh, and then the 16th is our school concert. So the kids will be up here singing your Christmas performance. And then the 23rd, the week of Christmas, that Wednesday night, that's going to be our, our Christmas Eve communion type service there. So we know everybody's busy on Christmas Eve. It's a crazy week, isn't it? So we just thought we'd just do our normal thing on Wednesday night. We'll have a Christmas kind of communion service there. And then 
the last Wednesday of the month, which is the 30th. Is that right, Steve? Is it the 30th? Uh, Pastor Bill and myself are going to be up here together, and we're going to do a prophecy update. So we're just going to... Did he forget? He forgot. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that. You keep, you keep telling me I'm your pastor, so. <laughs> so, but we thought, we thought, you know, it'd be great if we could just be together, we have a couple of chairs together, and just talk back and forth about everything that's happening in the world, and, you know, and just talk about it prophetically, and then maybe if people have questions, you know, we could handle some questions there, and get everything all resolved, and ready for the new year, so, prophecy thing on the 30th, so. Okay, now we can turn to Acts chapter 4. And I want you to take a look at verse 5. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, meaning Peter and John, they asked, by what power, by what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's pretty powerful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we focus in on this passage and what happened on this day with Peter and John and, and all the intimidating authorities there, we pray, Lord Jesus, that your name would be magnified, the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll be blessed by all of our attention as we think about that and think about all that your name means and all that it's intended to mean, Lord. We love your name, we love Jesus, and we love this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the book of Acts here, the church was just recently formed by the Holy Spirit. We're only talking about a few thousand people. Now, when you just look at a few thousand people, if you're thinking in terms of a, of a church of a few thousand people, instantaneously it, it can be impressive as though it's a large amount of people. And certainly on that day, it would have looked massive right there in front of one man, but when you think of it all across Judea or even across the Roman Empire, it really was a minority. And these people, this group of people, in the fledgling form that they were, not knowing hardly anything, but all they knew was that they were repentant and their hearts were open to Jesus and their hearts were open to the scriptures in a whole new fashion here. But these fledgling people here were really under a lot of pressure. And they were under pressure on a couple of different fronts, not just one, but two. 
First of all, the front of the Roman Empire, the culture, the pagan society that was really a religious society because they demanded that all allegiance and all, you know, love be given to the emperor that was there in Rome. And then on top of that, on the other side of that, you also had the Jews. And these people were, were just as much of a pressure on these Christians here now who'd come out of both environments, both cultures now, and they were what? They were people of the way. They were a whole new humanity, a whole new people group now. So they couldn't identify with Rome and they couldn't identify with Israel necessarily because now they were followers of Christ. And so the pressure on them at this point in time was fairly heavy and fairly hard, much like a lot of the pressure in some of our brothers and sisters around the world today. Uh, we're starting to feel some of that, only a little bit, but you can sort of feel the squeeze to some degree. But these people really had it going right at the start here in the beginning. And when you look at these people, you wonder, what is it that was in them? What is it, when you look at their lives, that was able to have them be like this in the face of all of this threat in the face of all of this pressure, to be able to stand there in front of all of them and know what could happen to them and so boldly, so profoundly, with so much courage, stand right up into the face of that opposition and say what Peter said that day. Because when you look at these Christians here in the minority that they were, it wasn't just that they stood there against the opposition and sort of held their own. Far more than that than just holding their own, they actually thrived. It wasn't just surviving, it was thriving. It was advancing to some degree, even though they were in this tiny, tiny little group with the great threats around them. And, and so, you know, here's the high priest here. He asked them in verse 7, by what power, by what name have you done this? And why is he asking this? He's asking this because way back in chapter 3, not too long before this, here's Peter and John. They're walking up to the temple They've gone through the, that same path over and over and over again, countless times, all their lives. And typically, as they would see going up those steps, they'd see lame people or blind people or deaf people, all these different hurting people there asking for help. And you know what? That's a great place to ask. Go to the temple, go to church and ask for help. That's where you should get help. And so on that day, you look back at chapter 3, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. I love that it's called beautiful because it's a beautiful scene, isn't it? Holy Spirit knows how to write a book. <laughs> really. And to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter fastening his eyes upon him. I love that word fastening. So important that you look people in the eyes. I think for the first time this man realized somebody cared about him. He didn't walk right by him. He just looked right at him. He cared about him. And he said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. So they ask him, what name, what authority, what power? And this has everything to do with this situation here where he says, in the name 
of Jesus Christ. It's something that he used the name of Jesus Christ and up the man, you know, walking and leaping and praising God. I remember, I remember that was the first song I learned how to play on my guitar. You know, I was a, I was a was it sixth grader, seventh grader, something like that, and we were all, we had like a culture of music around our Christian school. Also, all we did was play Jesus music, you know. We are just kind of dealing chords like drugs, seventh graders, you know. Hey, did you learn this song? And I remember learning how to play the, the guitar, and I picked up this little praise book in the back. They had the chords there, and the first song I ever learned to play was, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk, you know. I was so happy with myself. I just love that song, you know. And then the great part is he went walking and leaping and praising God, you know. Just, I love that song right out of this passage here. But he says, in the name of Jesus Christ. And I, I love that. I love that phrase that you see here repeated over and over and over again in the passage. The name of Jesus I remember growing up, remember there are certain songs that we used to sing over and over and over again. When you learn songs when you first get saved, they stick with you. They stick with you. I don't know if it's, it's because it's just when I was introduced to singing to Jesus. I don't know if it's because I was younger and now I'm older and I can't remember things. <laughs> That's why I need the words up there. <laughs> but, you know, when I was thinking about the name of Jesus and what it means to them here and what it means to us, I was thinking of that song, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus. Remember that? Kings and kingdoms, they'll all pass away, but there's just something about that name, you know. Or Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Remember that one? So there are lots of those songs that just kind of resonate in your head there and think about it. But for these guys, it meant something. It was powerful. It's not just saying Jesus. It's the phrase here, in the name of Jesus Christ. How does Peter answer them? He answers them again in verse 10, be it known unto you all to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he says it again. And he says it to the Sadducees. The Sadducees, from the beginning of chapter 4, are the ones who are doing all the questioning. The Sadducees are the ones who don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in angels. They had trouble with all of this. So the, the problem with them is that even though they didn't believe it, they couldn't deny what was standing right in front of them, this impotent man who couldn't walk, who they probably walked by, they probably recognized his face. He's now standing right before him. What do you do with him? There's a miracle there. And if you look, turn back to chapter 2, you'll see this is, this is something the apostles relied on. Chapter 2, verse 38 Oh, back up to verse 37. Peter's preaching that message, that first message. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's a move of the Spirit right there. He didn't have to tell them what to do. They asked, what do I do? That's an internal conviction here. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to live. How do I respond to this? 
And then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized every one of you, there it is, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So he starts that that way. Of course, we already read it in chapter 3, verse 6. After this man jumps up, he starts walking and leaping, and he's praising God. All the people recognize it, and immediately what they want to do is they want to point to Peter. Wow, Peter, look what you did. And immediately, Peter just deflects all that. And what does he say? Verse 12. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? <laughs> Unless the Lord build a house, they that labor, labor in vain. The Lord's got to do it. Are you realizing that? You're realizing it's all Jesus in your life? Are you realizing it's all Jesus in this church? Jesus, by him, all things consist. He's holding everything together. <laughs> it's all him. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life whom God hath raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. Notice this. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong whom you see and know. He does it again. Chapter 2, chapter 3. Two times. We already read verse 7 in chapter 4. We already read verse 10 in chapter 4. Go to verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Something in the name. Go to verse 17. They don't know what to do with these guys. The Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, they tell him to get out of there. They want to have a secret meeting. What are we going to do with these guys? So in verse 17, but so that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. That's not for nothing. <laughs> so you get the drift now? There's something going on here in the book of Acts. There's something going on in the beginning here. There's something happening in their lives. Because they're, they're born again and because they have Christ living in them, they can't help but Christ is coming out of them. It seems as though they can't, they can't find another opportunity quick enough to talk about Jesus, to say Jesus, to make Jesus known. I mean, how can you keep Jesus in if Jesus is in there? You can't keep him buried in a tomb. I mean, that's why I wonder if nobody ever mentions Jesus Christ and they call themselves a Christian, I wonder if they have Jesus in there. It doesn't line up with Scripture. If Jesus is in there, he's got to come out. And these men 
And the women that got saved all through the book of Acts, it seems Jesus keeps coming out. Jesus keeps coming out. And they were looking for opportunities to talk about Jesus this way. But there's something about this phrase that they can't get away from. There's something in the name of Jesus here. If you were to take it out of this context, and it, let's pretend we didn't go in through this passage here and we didn't cover this already, but if I talked to you and I asked you, have you ever heard somebody, some preacher, maybe on TV, say, in the name of Jesus? Okay, I had a little southern accent here. That sort of slipped out. <laughs> but if I asked you, have you heard that before? You probably say, yeah, I have heard that before. I have heard in the name of Jesus, probably related to what? To prosperity doctrine circles or faith healing services or things like that. You can see it on TV. And, and in a lot of cases, when you see that, you see that the name of Jesus is used in, in some sort of a powerful form. And it's almost like it's a good luck charm. It's almost like it's a, a rabbit's foot or something or a magic wand this way. In some cases, when you see it in those circles like that, people feel as though they need to yell it, you know, or raise their voice. Um, if you read any, any kind of um, book about what's happening in China, the church in China, they have, you know, there are different denominations, different segments within that massive country and a massive body of Christ that's over there. But one segment that's in the body of Christ is called this group, the Shouters. And so what they do sometimes when they gather together, they shout Jesus. You know, they just stand up or if somebody walks in, Jesus, and they're shouting, you know. They're sort of the, the Pentecostal wing of the church in China there. I remember being involved in a local home group before, and because they had followed uh, Watchman Nee and Witness Lee and the local church like that, they had followed some of the shouting techniques and right here in Rochester. And so they believed that there was some sort of a power if you just sort of shouted Jesus. I remember driving down the road, getting involved with these guys. And here it was January or February. It was real cold outside. And here they are. I think we're riding a little small Volkswagen, you know, Beetle or something like that. And these three or four guys are yelling, screaming Jesus in this. I'm driving, you know. I'm like, you know, they kept screaming it over and over and over again, and the windows are all fogged. What am I getting myself into? You know, I'm a long way from home. There's no place like home. No place like home. You know, <laughs> kind of creeps you out. <laughs> but sometimes that's that's what you relate it to. Or if you ever hear in Jesus' name, you you think of it only at the end of a prayer. And sometimes the other extreme is that there's no power in it, but people pray it or tack it on to the end of a prayer, much like, you know, an ob uh, obligation or something like that. I don't even know why we add Jesus' name at the end of a prayer. I just, well, I know we're supposed to do it, so I hear everybody else do it, so we just pray in Jesus' name. And we don't think of it having any power whatsoever. So there's two extremes here where that phrase can be misused. So we have to understand, well, you know, what did it mean to them? How did they understand it? What, what... What sense did it make to them? Why did they keep saying it over and over and over again? Well, it means an awful lot more to the Jewish culture, to those people back then, and most of the people out throughout the Bible here, than it would be normally to us. If you spoke a name or you named somebody in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament back then, and, and maybe in, in some cultures today around the world, you would name them 
and it would say something of their character or maybe some sort of relationship to an event in their life or the circumstance around their birth. And all you have to do is look through different parts of the Bible and you know this is true. Genesis chapter 4, we're going to get to it really soon here. You remember uh, Eve when she had Abel and Cain, first she had Cain. And what did she say? She named him specifically because she thought that it meant something. This child that she was given was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Genesis 3 verse 15 when God said what? There's a promise the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Remember that? And so she says, I'm going to name him Cain because God has sent me a man. She really believed that this was the man, God fulfilling his promise. So she named him that because she thought that. And then what happens? You get to Exodus, and here's Moses. And in Exodus, Moses is taken out of the, the river there in that basket by Pharaoh's daughter, and she says what? She says, I'm going to name him Moshe or Moses because I have drawn him out of the water, because Moshe means drawn. So she named the baby after this, the event or the circumstance that took place in his life there. And if you go even further, you can think of uh, Moses renaming uh, Hosea in Numbers chapter 13. Here's Joshua, who was formerly Hosea, whose name means salvation. And Moses, for some reason, he just goes right past that. And just in one verse, verse 16, Numbers 13, he says, no, I'm going to rename you. Your name is Jehovah is salvation. And that's what I want people to remember. And, and most likely because Moses was the prophet, and Moses prophetically renamed him because you and I now look back at Joshua as being a type of Christ, right? Our Joshua is, is Christ here. Jehovah is salvation that way. Uh, and then you remember Abe was renamed by God Abraham. And you remember Jacob, heel catcher, was renamed what? Israel, a prince with God. And then you remember, <clears throat> excuse me, John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was to be born, the angel said to his dad, you'll name him John. John is going to be his name. Yahweh is gracious. And then you remember, here we are at Christmas season when Mary was told by the angel that she was going to have this baby born of the Holy Spirit. She didn't name the baby. Joseph didn't name the baby. Heaven named the baby. You should call his name Jesus, just like that. And then what happened after Jesus walked with Peter? He says, Peter, you were Simon uh, Barjonas, but now you're going to be Petros. You're going to be a little rock here. And, you know, I was, I was talking to Maddie about this kind of, she says, Daddy, you know, tell me a Bible story. I said, well, I'll tell you a little Bible story about what's happening tonight, the kind of Bible story we're going to talk about tonight. And so I'm going through this whole list of all these characters and the names that were changed. She goes, and Saul to Paul. says, PK. You're correct, you know. So there's a, there's a lot of times here where we're, not only people were named around the events or the characters, circumstance, but also the things that happened in their life. And, and so Jesus here, when we think of Jesus, Jesus is supposed to tell us something more than just the Lord of salvation. It's supposed to speak of, of who he is, his character, and what he's all about. When they say in the name of Jesus, that's not just any name. There's a, that's a loaded kind of name. It tells us so much more. And how do we know this? Turn to Exodus chapter 34. 
You remember in, in this chapter, uh, Moses finally going to you know, get this chance to, to behold the glory of the Lord. You know, I want to see your glory, which has helped all of us. I mean, how, how many of us, after we hear Moses say that, we want that too? Sometimes we don't even know what to ask, and that's why God puts Moses in here. It's a great thing to ask. We want to see your glory, Lord. So he's in this position where he can see the glory of the Lord. And in verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And what does he do when he proclaims the name of the Lord? He doesn't give him just one name. He gives him all of these features and all of these characteristics, all of these attributes of who he is. Name, as you read it in English, is singular, but it's going to be extrapolated into multiple different names. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. Has he kept mercy for you? He kept mercy for me. Mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity. Has he forgiven your iniquity? He's forgiven mine. And transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and to the fourth generation. Wow. That's a lot to take in, isn't it? That's a lot to take. You can meditate on that. Psalm 1 says to meditate means to chew on the cud. Just chew on that. His name. Fellowship with him on that verse. And when the disciples talked to the Lord about praying, he gave them a model. He gave them a model in Luke chapter 11. He says, and when you pray, pray in this fashion. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I asked Maddie, I said, Maddie, do you know what hallowed means? She says, no, Daddy, what's it mean? I said, I don't know either. <laughs> I had to look it up. <laughs> hallowed means to, to revere or to consider or render sacred or holy. Hallowed be thy name. I think it's meant for us to revere his name when we pray to think about his name, but to think about his name in this regard, his character, his attributes, his goodness, his mercy, his forgiveness, and all that we've received. So when the disciples say, in the name of Jesus Christ, they're thinking of the quality and the character of Jesus. They're thinking of his goodness and his greatness and his kindness and his compassion, his righteousness. And for them, when they said that over and over and over again, they couldn't wait to declare the quality and the character of their Lord. It just came out over and over and over again. Let's go back to to Acts. So if you take them all together, you take you know, chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4, and you can do your own study and go on the rest of the book of Acts to see how this phrase is used. To them, it, it was a reality to them. You know, this, this person, Jesus Christ, was a reality in their lives. 
And for them, it gave them a, a resiliency to be able to stand there because for them, they knew that Jesus not only died, but he rose again. He was very real and powerful in their lives. And I think at least on two, two fronts for them, this is why it gave them this resiliency. Number one, they knew, and they could tell from chapter three, when in chapter two, they could tell that Jesus was with them. There's a vitality that we get. There's a vitality that they got, that they had, because they knew that they knew that they knew that Jesus was alive and with them. And he would tell them a number of times. But especially before he ascended, in Matthew 28, after the Great Commission, he would say what? Lo, I am with you. He didn't say, I will be with you. He said, I am present. Isn't that interesting? I am with you even unto the end of the age. And that was a reality to them. That was a very vibrant truth that they lived with. But not only that he was with them, but that he was engaged with them, that he was involved with them, that, that he had a hand in helping, helping them do what they were doing. I think it's Paul who says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, that we are what? We are laborers together with God. And so this, this vital reality in their lives gave them this, this propulsion, if you will, this strength, if you will, to carry out there every day. Now, and, and I, I believe that if, if you believe this and you know this, it gives you a vitality too every morning, doesn't it? Not just to do these kinds of things, but even in the everyday monotony, mundane, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday stuff we do. It makes a huge difference in these people's lives and it makes a huge difference in any Christian's life who realizes these two things about Jesus Christ, that he's there, he's with them, and that he's involved in their lives. You can wake up the next morning, first thing you think about is you hurt. Or you get past that and you wake up and you realize the Lord is alive and he's with you. And you don't wake up alone. It makes a huge difference in a person's life. And then you walk with them during the course of the day. And you fellowship with them. And then what else? You get to see his hand involved in your work. Whether it's packing up the kids and getting them out the door. Whether it's driving to work. Whether it's getting to work. Whether it's working during work. Whether it's going home. Whether it's taking out the trash. Whatever we do during the day, we know that he's with us. And he even cares about those nitty-gritty little details that we go through. That's amazing. It's amazing to me that he's with me when I'm taking out the trash. It's amazing to me that he's with me and he wants to be with me no matter what I'm doing. But this is a difference maker in a person's life when they have these two truths in their lives, knowing that he's with them and that he's involved. And I think it'd be the, it can be the difference in a church too. A night and day difference in a church when you have a group of people who actually believe and live with this vitality that Jesus is real, he's alive right now, and even in our singing. If people come to church and they don't believe that Jesus is alive, what are they doing? They're just singing songs, right? But when you bring people to church and they know that Jesus is alive and he's right here, they're not singing Adam. 
They're singing to him. Night and day difference, powerful effect that it has on a church life. I think it has a powerful effect in prayer too. Big difference maker in prayer. You look at their prayers in the book of Acts, wow. But if a person comes and they pray knowing that Jesus is listening and Jesus is paying attention and Jesus wants to do the things that they're asking, it can make all the world a difference. Jesus would tell us, right? He says, when you pray, if you pray in my name, asking anything, it shall be done unto you. How are we supposed to take that? Does that mean that if I want that F, Ford 250, four-wheel drive, off-road package, gunmetal, with Yosemite Sam mud flaps, back off? <laughs> Does that mean if I name it and claim it and pray in Jesus' name, he's going to poof, of course not, you know, doesn't mean that. All that means is that when I pray, after all that I've prayed and I, prayed and I say in Jesus' name, I, I basically run it through the filter of his character and his nature. And if it's in alignment with what he wants and his desires, it, it basically is the biggest filter of prayer that you can have. Anybody clean out their furnace before the winter happened? You take that filter out from last winter, and what, what did it look like? Just bang it, all that dust, you know, all that junk right out of that filter. I wonder how much junk is up there in heaven, <laughs> the stuff that we pray, you know. And it, do, it doesn't really get to God because it has to run through the filter. But I do know this, if it runs through the filter of Jesus and his character and his nature and his desires and what he wants, then it's sure to get to heaven. It's sure to go through him. On the flip side, if people don't think that there's power in the name, if there's no belief there, I don't know what can happen. So there's a balance in this, to pray in Jesus' name. I don't think you need to yell it, though, because that name has power. That name has a lot of power. And you want to know how, how it has power? All you have to do is go into a public place and say the name of Jesus. Look at these guys. Look what they've done. And what did they tell them? We do not want you to say the name of Jesus. They didn't tell them. They did not tell them, we don't want you to heal people. They just says, we don't want you to say in Jesus' name. Look what he says in verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You younger people, you younger people who haven't lived life yet, if you're doubting right now and you want to know whether or not this Jesus is real, whether or not the name of Jesus has power, all you have to do is to say the name of Jesus in a serious fashion, in a loving fashion, in a peer group, and see what happens. That name has power. The name of George doesn't have power. The name Sandy doesn't have power. The name Muhammad doesn't have power. The name of Jesus has power. And in a group of people, you can say Jesus. 
And it can stir a heart to adore him and to love him and to grab that person's attention from any other love. And at the same time, in that same place, that name of Jesus can make other people incredibly uncomfortable and nervous and fidgety or angry and erupt in an emotional fashion and just get out of there. What name can do that? It's proof that there's power in the name. But one day, everybody's going to like it. Everybody's going to love it. And we'll close with this. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. By the way, this is going to be a great day. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Who named Jesus? God did. Only his father gets to name him. (laughs) But a name above every other name that has ever been given in all of history even beyond human history. Now, we only have 6,000 years or so. We know that Michael lived longer. But, every other name. And why? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and even things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. (laughs) One day, everybody will agree that this is the name and there's power in the name. So don't be afraid to use it. Let people know. Didn't he say, he said, I will be like a sword coming through. Sometimes you drop the name of Jesus and you can cut the tension with a knife. Wow. All I said was his name. (laughs) You're going to have Christmas pretty soon with family members. Hopefully you'll be asked to pray. And when you pray, you're going to pray in Jesus' name. And it's going to be powerful. And we need to trust it. If I could sing, I'd lead you in one of those songs. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus. After the summer rain. Yeah, that. Maybe you'd come up, Stephen, lead us. Yeah. So let's have the ushers come up. We'll have the praise team come up, and we'll just sing to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, first of all, we'd like to thank you for giving us that name. It's the perfect name. You knew, you knew that all of us would love it and adore it. You knew that it would grab people's attention. You knew that it would be the name. And we're thankful, Lord, that this Jesus, this Jesus who 
human beings crucified, you raised from the dead. We're thankful, Lord, for the life of Christ in us has been afforded to us by the cross, Lord, that, that you are in us and alive and thriving, Lord, and also very involved and very active in our lives. And so now, Lord, as we partake the symbol of your death, your body, and the symbol of your bleeding in the blood here, Lord, we want to let you know how much we appreciate you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Scott Gallatin. If you enjoy the message, you can learn more about Pastor Scott's ministry by visiting www.ccfingerlakes.org.